I'm no, than I only you. watched I watched the last five minutes of um main time and the oh. main time so regular time. <laughs> that shows how much of what a fan I am. <laughs> and the first fifteen minutes of uh, extra time. You didn't yeah. watch the last fifteen minutes? No, they scored like it was done. Yeah, 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 yeah. To be fair, they were just rolling it around. To be honest, oh my god, it was actually really good. I'm. I went to about four or five pubs. Me and my mate went to about four or five pubs. Welcome to the Not Bane podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Not Bane Podcast. Let's get right to it. Corey's going to give us his latest rundown of PMQs. Hopefully he's included the comments from uh, Ian Blackford as he is my fave. Otherwise it's a little bit dull. Let's go. Actually it wasn't dull. Um, Blackford was the dull part. He's gone back to his regular dullness. Um, he didn't crack a joke this week, which is a bit to annoying. I, I mean, he's dull generally. This is... Uh, anyway, so yes... This week, premises questions. Uh, so, as it may be clear to listeners by now, I don't bother listening to the whole of Prime Minister's questions anymore because um, the first half of Prime Minister's questions is just the back and forth between the leader of the opposition and the Prime Minister. And then you've got a couple of questions from the leader of the SNP because they're the second biggest party and the Prime Minister. After that, it's sort of alternating questions between go- people on the government bench, no, not government benches, people on the Conservative benches and opposition benches. So half of the questions, you can discount straight away, the ones from the conservative benches, because they're basically some iteration of, does my right honorable friend agree with me that he's doing a great job as prime minister? And I don't have 10 minutes of my Wednesday afternoon to sit in that absolute brain fart. So, and then the other 10 questions, the other half is, you know, opposition. So I say all that to say this, when I talk about Prime Minister's questions, I'm just talking about the back and forth between the leaders. Prime Minister's questions in general is the whole show where it's the back and forth between the leaders and also random MBs. That being said, this week, the focus between Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson, it was about uh, COVID and the projections that soon we will have a 100,000 cases of COVID-19 a day. Um, Obviously, this in light of the government's announcement at the start of this week that they will be confirming the lifting of lockdown restrictions in total on July the 19th. Obviously, that was supposed to be June the 21st and it was delayed to July the 19th. And in light of this, Keir Starmer basically was asking the Prime Minister to really put the brakes on a little bit, not fully go back and not fully stay where we are, but in light of the projections, as I said, that we will have 100,000 cases a day his questions were focused on asking what will hospital what what will that number of cases lead to in terms of number of hospitalizations deaths and long covid he also then pressed him on what 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 facilities were in place for helping people who were going to have to self-isolate what about the payments are those going to continue why not um and he asked another strange strange question to me, it was strange anyway. So apparently there are signs that people are deleting the NHS app. And I'm sure we've many of us, we've all heard of or used the NHS app, that app that you have to scan <clears throat> using the QR codes when you go into any kind of sort of leisure establishment, like a bar or a pub. You mean the test and trace app? 
Indeed, test and trace. And then if you've come into okay. contact in some Being way... wild evasive there for no reason, I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, it might be the fact that I've only used it twice. But, oh, okay. um, yes, let me not put myself in any legal jeopardy so pretty doesn't come and arrest me. But yes, um, it's been, you scan in and then if you've been around people who then contract COVID, you get a beep, well, an alert on the app telling you that you have to self-isolate. And so there are projections again the projections vary because these are statistics and these are based on some unknowns but the projection is that there could be up to two million people a week being pinged to self-isolate if we do get to 100,000 cases a day sort of in the next four to six weeks so decent questions I thought from Keir Starmer I think it's really important when it comes to the self-isolation what's going to happen with people again if they if people have to self-isolate especially if they're waged workers how are they going to get paid if they're self-employed how are they going to get paid and then businesses how there are they going to survive a furlough scheme mm -hmm. that hasn't been publicized for people who have to self-isolate but no one's been told about it but it's built in there so yeah, yeah people yeah. do have to and it's you know I don't think it's just the it's not the statutory six stick pay stuff. So no, it's been in yeah. Research and go online and find it if you are waged and you need to um self isolate. Don't go and collect your ducats, okay? Yeah, yeah, that was brought in a long way into the pandemic. Finally, the government would, would sort of drag kicking and screaming in kicking and screaming into actually providing that support for people. Um, but payments, furloughs, everything's basically going to get scrapped soon. Um, but the pandemic ain't going nowhere, as we've seen with the case numbers going up. So, decent questions. But again, a lot of the responses were just waffle. This guy is so woefully terrible. Like, he's the worst guy we can have as a prime minister. I know, hey, Boris. I, I know nobody, I know this isn't new. That's your favorite. Anybody. But I just, every time I see this guy, especially whenever he's challenged on questions, like, this has been the most serious time politically. Um, in terms of like as a country since World War II. And this guy has been missing in action. We know that. But even when it comes to just putting on the front of looking responsible, you know, he used the line about talking about how we've got a great deal of leadership. And I was thinking, mate, are you effing kidding me? Like <laughs> you, you, leader, terrible, man. Like the way he, like, so he asked, he asked one of the questions was this, as I said, he said, okay, simple. There's going to be 100,000 cases a day. How many hospitalizations will there be? That's it. That was a question. That's it. Very simple question, you know, or a number. You either respond with a number or even if you waffle, waffle sounding like you care, but he doesn't do either. It's just waffle. And then a lot of what he was doing this week was asking questions back. So the speaker had to interject a few times, twice, by saying, hey, this is prime minister's questions, not leader of the opposition questions. Um, but again, Keir Starmer just fell into the trap because he then answered the question. You're not <laughs> supposed to answer the question. You're, you're there to ask questions. Well, he was a lawyer. I can't trap. believe he fell into that trap. Uh, that's, that's ridiculous. Your, well, that's your, your friend. Um, he was a director of the GPP. For your God's forensic sake. guy. I thought that was really strange. Proper schoolboy era, like... You're not wow, supposed to be yike. answering questions. Um, so that's your forensic guy. Um, but yeah, you just answered and serious questions about numbers. Where where are we going to be or or where are we projected to be? I mean, he could even pass it off and, and just pass it off to um, a direct the, the honourable member to some random website, even if he doesn't want to commit to a, a bad number. But it, he, didn't even, he doesn't even try, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, because he don't really care. Um, so... Hopefully not, but Keir Starmer reckons we are headed for a summer of chaos. Moving on to Ian Blackford, your fave, 
your fave Ian Blackford. His questions are uh, very different. His questions were based on the election bill, which we oh. will be talking about in the next section of the show. So very the government good. brought in um, to Parliament this week, introduced to Parliament the election bill, elections bill 2021, um, aimed at bolstering the integrity of our elections in the UK. And uh, Ian Blackford basically <laughs> he, de- he he derided it as Trumpian by saying that it's going to affect mm-hmm. BME voters, working class voters. And he asked the question direct, straight in. He said, why is the prime minister rubbing the electorate of the right to vote? I thought that was quite punchy. The way he said it was anyway. It was a bit more punchy than me. Mm. To which the prime minister said he is here to protect the one person, one vote system. And then he made a reference to Tower Hamlets. For those who don't know, Tower Hamlets had a mayoral election in 2014, which was basically a scandal. Mm-hmm. And I guess that is a ra- great rationale to upend the entire... It was a mayoral system. election in a... Borough. Borough. In one city. In one, one city. One time in the history of God, in modern history. I mean, mm. for goodness sake. Let's... So... <laughs> come so on. His, so his second come question... On, we're not even buying it. Like, it's just rubbish. I thought it was, it was a weak response. I mean, he could have just stopped that protecting one person, one vote. Again, it's waffle, but it's, it's, there's two kinds of waffle. There's, there's, there's respectable waffle and there's just ridiculous waffle. Respectable waffle, in my opinion, would have been, we're here to protect the one person, one vote system and then sit down. But then talking about Tower Hamlets, like that's, in my opinion, then that's just ridiculous waffle. Because that's them, that's them scraping the barrel for reasons why they're actually doing this. Well, legitimate reasons why they're actually doing this mm. other than, you know, voter suppression. Um, and so his second question, following on from that, he he made reference to the fact that there were only 34 incidents of um, impersonation, uh, voter impersonation in 2000 in the 2019 general election. You know, out of tens of millions of votes. <clears throat> um, and then again, the primary. And so so he was basically saying, look, there was only 34 people, um, and now there are three and a half million people who don't have a photo ID. There are 11 million people who don't have passport or driving license. And he basically, and then he, he's, he got a bit, of, I mean, I know he said, he, I know I said at the start, he was, a, he was dull again, but he was still a bit, he got a bit feisty. He basically accused him after accusing him of being Trumpian and asking him why he's rubbing the people of the right to vote. His next question ended with why is he acting like a tin pot dictator? Um, again, to which we Boris seemed a bit ruffled. Quotes. You see what it's I've noticed? Excellent. And well, that was even you. That. Uh, that was in an article that I read about this. Is um, he was branded a tin pot dictator? Yeah. So, well, you're welcome for the quotables. Actually, is what you should be saying. Yeah. I mean, fave, Ian. Well, indeed. I mean, um, but you can tell when when Johnson gets asked a question that gets personal about his intentions. I've noticed this now a few times. That's the only time I've ever, you ever see him like visibly, not riled, but shaken. Like he looks visibly shaken, like offended. And I think it's genuine. Um, I don't think it's a pretense because he doesn't, If it, I think if it was a pretense, you'd make more of a show of it, but it's quite understated, but you can see it whenever somebody sort of attacks his integrity, uh, which people should do more often as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, these so are the politicians. Funny. Does he have. think that he has, that he's as in terms of politicians, he's not one that's famous for integrity at all. So yeah, but we odd. are, we are often, we often have our perceptions of ourselves, which might not necessarily line up to how other people perceive us, but we, we got revert fired to... for lying as a journalist yeah, and also but... was found to have been ordering someone to be beat up. I mean, what sort of illusions of self does he have? Listen, the, the mind can play, play powerful tricks on us in terms of 
fooling us into thinking we are what we are not. Anyway, let's move on to actually talking about this elections bill in more detail. Okay. This week, the government introduced elections, the elections bill to parliament this Tuesday. Uh, this bill, as we discussed in the previous session, previous section, is aimed at essentially uh, reducing the amount of fraud and increasing the integrity to the election system. Um, it is arguable about the... The, the, the actual, it's arguable to, to what the effects of this will be, whether it's necessary, how necessary it is, and more questions raised. As again, considering the fact that there were only 34 acts of impersonation at the ballot box in the general election 2019, 34 out of tens of millions of votes. And so there are a lot of questions raised as to why the government is even spending parliamentary time uh, introducing a bill like this. <clears throat> and on the face of it, I would agree that it's basically pointless because on the face of it, the most of the coverage is focused around one element of the bill, which would require voter, voter ID to be presented whenever you go to vote. Um, this already happens in Northern Ireland, uh, but in the rest of the United Kingdom, Scotland, Wales, England, this doesn't take place. You just go to the, you go to the polling station, you tell them your name, your address, they find you on the list, they cross you off, they give you a paper, you put X next to your vote and you go home. And then you watch David Dimbleby and Co for six hours on a BBC on the BBC or ITV for that exciting elections night cover. Oh wait, no, that's just me. Anyway, so yes, a lot of the controversy is around the, the ID element of it. In my opinion, I don't think we need no ID. Like, why do I? I don't need my driving license when I go to vote. I don't, it's not necessary. Again, just purely on the on the fact that they have there were only thirty four. 34 instances last time and it's not just in 2019 election fraud just is not a thing in the uk it's just not however 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 yeah. let me put my however in and then you can wax lyrical um Indeed. however 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 as i said on the face of it a lot of the coverage has just been about the id element but there are a lot more. There's a lot more to this bill. And we will post a link in the show notes. You are welcome to go and read the 154 pages of the bill on the government's website. Alternatively, you could just read the two-page summary, which will also link, which probably would be a lot easier to read. Um, there are a lot of other elements. I won't go through all of them because I said it's 154-page bill. But there are a couple which um, stand out to me as pretty sensible. So the first thing is there is going to be a restriction of all third-party campaigning to UK-based entities and eligible overseas electors. Essentially, it's about making sure that the people who are campaigning for individual political parties and politicians are UK-based, which I think is sensible. Um, there's a lot of shady, shade, or there have been a lot of accusations of shady money, um, overseas interests, trying to influence elections, and this should help to to stop that. Another element of this is digital imprints. So essentially what this would do is it would require anybody who's campaigning to explicitly show who they are and on behalf of whom they're promoting digital campaigning material. So again, it's about sort of giving a bit more transparency to who exactly are the people backing certain candidates, certain parties, and where they're based and why they're doing it. Something else which has been introduced is, and this one I particularly like, also because I follow US politics a lot and their political system is just full of cash, like crazy cash. So uh, I'll, I'll end on this point and then uh, you, you can go on. So this part here um, is there, there's going to be a new lower limit on 
uh, registration for spending. So essentially what that means is this. If, you, if you're spending um, £10,000 or more, you have to, um, there's, there's a, there is a new level of registration. Those group, people in that, people who are spending £10,000 and above on campaigning will be required to be subject to basic transparency requirements. And they would need to be, again, UK-based or otherwise eligible, like a registered overseas elector. So again, it means that people who are putting money into our political system can be identified. And in my opinion, that's a very good thing. I think the limit, sh I think the limit should probably be less than £10,000. It should be £5,000. Anybody spending anything more than a couple of grand, should people should be able to know who that is and why they're donating to whoever they're, they're donating to. So I'll leave it there. There are a lot of other elements in there, which I agree with. I do disagree with the voter ID, the ID element of it. But as I said, that is only one part of it. Yep. Um, I absolutely agree. I think it is a good idea for us to have an idea where um, foreign money, if foreign money is coming into our elections, which candidate it's supporting and where from. However, I do think it's quite likely that there'll be very much a number of ways to circumvent disclosure um, on, for any um, political appointee or anyone who's running for office. I mean, look at when somebody, one of the toy donors paid for um, Boris's wallpapers and whatever else it was. We didn't know about that. It's only because it came out that we actually knew where the money was coming from. And when we and then when we asked about it, we couldn't get a straight answer from the prime minister himself when he was asked in the House of Commons. Do you know what I mean? So really, we have to take everything with a pinch of salt. And I think you have to sometimes remember that within the frameworks of something that can seem good on the face or like it has good benefits, what is it being used to hide? And that's what it feels like here, because outside of it affecting 3.5 million voters who don't have photo ID, it also is, you know, the slow creeping in of some sort of national ID system, which can be used to attract the public all over the place at all times and online as well, you know, because there have also been talks about introducing identification stuff for social media as well, because of, you know, trolling, et cetera, et cetera. And we already know what surveillance is like in this country, and it definitely provides more surveillance opportunities for the government and which can then be used in conjunction with digital campaigning as well. And if the government has access to all of that information, all of that data, which then can be used, who is it gonna benefit? We've seen how we've seen how this works before already, you know, and maybe this is sounding a bit tinfoil hatty, but I do think we have to look at this from all directions. I see, I guess we both disagree with the voter ID element of it, but for different reasons, probably. Now, I, I, I'm not really concerned about the sort of the, the creeping hand of the state in terms of tracking us. I mean, they already have the tools to do that if they really wanted to. So it's either that they're incompetent in using what they've already got, and therefore adding another one isn't going to make any difference because they're already incompetent, or it doesn't matter. So either way, I, I just don't think that's a big, big deal in terms of, you know, being tracked we can already be tracked everything they've got they've got there are the, the 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 tools are there already for that surely no i don't disagree but just because something can happen in one way it doesn't mean that we should introduce some avenues for it to be um happen in another way i don't in terms of like government data management this government is not great at it i mean for goodness sake there was a dead drop the other day at a bus a bus stop where we really um we got the report about the 
the setup of a ship that was, um, you know, pinged by a Russian ship and the, those supposedly confidential documents were left at a bus stop. They were also physically printed out in 2021. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so like this idea of, you know, they can track you in security. Yeah, sure. We know that. But it's about I know you don't like you said you don't really believe in the creeping hand of the state, but I think we absolutely should. I mean, we're about to we've got the um... policing, sentencing and crime bill is coming through. And then we're going to, people are going to be prosecuted for protesting too loudly. So I think now is the time to really open our eyes and pay attention and make a bit more noise than we've been making before. This trodding along stuff is not going to work anymore, I don't think. No, no, don't get me wrong. I, I, I have no great trust in the state. That's the, no, I, I, would just, I just meant in this particular instance. Um, but again, I think, I think the sort of almost pointlessness in some areas of this bill matches the pointlessness of the protest against this bill. I think protests should be aimed at other areas like the police crime and sentencing bill. You can protest um, more than one thing. Why not Why not protest all the things that you're against? What do you mean? There's there are only, so, there, there are only so many hours in the day. There are only so many campaigning hours and campaigning leaflets and campaigning but activities. But people and, care specifically more about this might not care specifically more about something else. Like People should protest but, as much as they see fit. Yeah. That's the whole point of the right to protest. One thing, curtailing it. one thing I would say, though, in terms of the ID element and uh, just for, I guess, just for a bit of balance, is that it's not just going to be sort of driving licenses and passports. That was something, as I said, in the PMQ section, Ian Blackford, leader of the FSMP, was like, oh, millions of people don't have passports and like driving licenses. Well, other things will be accepted, like uh, concessionary bus passes, um, mm -hmm. disabled badges. There are there are a lot of different uh cards and, and systems of id that's, that's currently used. they have talked about <clears throat> introducing a free voter voter photo id as well but they've currently they said that apparently it won't cost any money to implement at all which free ones yes untrue obviously yes. because everything costs money absolutely everything costs money so so councils will be uh, issuing free voter id for voters some sort another voter id if, if somebody doesn't have any of the other um, accepted forms of ID. Um, I mean, I think if they're going to do that, instead of people having to apply, it should be similar to what they've started doing in some states in America. You just send people the ID cards. You just send them. Like, yeah, why? Because yeah. again, because if, if you have it... to apply and you have to go out and get a ten-pound passport-sized photo and fill out a form and stand in a queue at the post office to send it out, send it out, etc. That, that all of those things create barriers to entry. Yeah. yeah. And any barrier to entry to vote is a problem. Moving on to another bill for you today, because Pretty has really been putting in the work, that's what she's been cooking up in her little home office office, is the Nationality and Borders Bill. And hopefully you might have heard about this recently in the news. It's a new bill that's covering immigration and asylum seeking and refugees in this country. The tagline has been that the government has said it's going to be firm but fair. But I think the, the, the key points from this bill, which has cause uproar are it will make arriving in the UK without permission a criminal offence and it is in an and that is an attempt to get to basically you know stop all the boats that have been coming over on the channel people coming over in unsafe you know different types of watermobiles dinghies lifeboats etc um, if you have traveled to this country from a, a safe country and you could have claimed asylum in that country it also criminalizes that and there will be a maximum life sentence for people who involve, um, who are involved in people smuggling. There'll be a new, much more thorough age assessments. Um, there has been some rumors about using bone scanning or check, checking bone density as a way to um, determine age. 
and also there is a proposal to process asylum claims outside of the country and I think just a note on the bone density stuff I think because it's currently against uh, ECHR rules to require people to give blood or to you know basically infringe on their human rights by you know crossing the boundaries of their skin etc to prove their age so this is I think an attempt to circumvent that and it's now it's also going to consolidate the legal process for you know um making any human rights claims or legal claims about the asylum process that you went through or if you have any objections it's now going to apparently make it new and streamlined so you can't make a single human rights claim and then a single legal um, legal claim as well it's just going to wrap them all up together and it's all going to be done, done in one process so i don't know if i would call it draconian but it is um extremely punitive it seems like it definitely might scoop up people who are refugees and in hardship. And it's an attempt to deter people from coming here at all, which is very strange because we're facing a people shortage and we need so much people in our infrastructure at the moment. So it's, I understand what, like it's, this very much fits within their framework of what they said they were going to do. And this fits in the framework of Pretty Patel as well, but I can't. I don't, it doesn't feel like there's any sort of long-term understanding of what we're going to need in this country, and it seems to be of an attempt to criminalise asylum seeking, which is not illegal. If people are fleeing here from war-torn, you know, starvation, etc., and so forth, if people are fleeing f fleeing here, that is not illegal. Entering a, com a country as an asylum seeker is not illegal. I don't understand why we would be criminalizing that. Also, it will be criminalizing somebody who knowingly helps somebody who is an asylum seeker into the country as well. So helping somebody who might be drowning or in a unsafe um, water vehicle that could be taking on water, helping them, you as a person who helps them could then also be criminalized. So yeah it very much is an attempt to criminalize asylum seeking and very much discourage um, people who are seeking asylum here. I don't know that it actually will because obviously this is a, a law in country. People outside of the country are very rarely gonna hear about this. So at most it might affect people who are working in this country to smuggle people over. But I don't know how actually, you know, land and sea crossings at all really. Yeah, a lot of it is aimed at counteracting smugglers. And I guess it's like the elections bill, isn't it? I think that we should should be careful not to just throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's, there's obviously a lot of questionable things in this bill as well. But I mean, I think everybody would agree that prosecuting people who are smuggling people into another country is generally a good thing. Um, I do anyway. absolutely but those laws already existed it's not like people sm smuggling is legal so you know the person who had those people in his van was sent to jail for a long time so you know people smuggling wasn't sudden was was a crime already is a crime already that has a sentencing framework already so this is just an extra law Mm. that's not really making what you could have done is just you know increase the um the sentencing minimums on people smuggling if which i'm pretty sure i don't think is capped anyway do you know what i mean so it's fake not that it's fake but it wasn't solving a pro it wasn't solving a problem that needed solving there was already a solution to that problem 
there's already yeah. a legal framework for that crime. So it's the other stuff that wasn't there before, actually. And that's the thing that's to ping you to distract you from all the other stuff because it's illegal if you help an asylum seeker. If you, it's illegal if you help somebody in trouble. But look, they've made a maximum life. They've added the maximum of a life sentence to people smuggling. So look, that's actually what it's about. No, that's the bare minimum. I mean, I, I disagree that it won't make an it won't make a difference just because sort of uh, under the assumption that these are only things which people in the country know about that are happening. Um, I think in the, the nature of the world that we live in, everybody knows, we, we live in such a small small world right now that I think just because this is a law that's going to be implemented in the UK, I think it is going to, in some way, shape or form, people will know about it and people will know that, hey, the UK is, is they're trying to be a harder place to enter. So I think I think that, that sort of news will will filter through whatever systems and lines of community yeah 100 percent. i mean we saw it in america so when you know immigration to the border the southern border in america at certain part times did dip during trump's presidency and some of that is directly related to the fact that people in particularly um, central and south american countries well, central american countries knew that there was this much harder line on immigration and so it did affect the numbers going and I think in the same way it would also affect. down to you know the the, the um, general um, cultural dominance that America has. Do we? Do you think we have the same cultural dominance? No, of course we don't. But it doesn't mean yeah. that we don't have any. It, it doesn't mean that Trump it doesn't was getting on people... Twitter every day and saying stuff and you know talking about the things that he was going to do as well. Do you know what I mean? So it's, I think. I'm not I mean, saying I hear. I'm not. I'm not dis- I'm, you know, to be fair, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just giving a bit of pushback. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying it'll be the same. So I agree. Yeah, it won't be. It, it's not going to be. It's not going to deter people to the same degree. But to some degree, I, I think it definitely will. For across the pond this week, we'll be covering the assassination of the Haitian president Jovenel Moïse. I think that's the right pronunciation-ish. He was assassinated on Wednesday by an alleged hit squad. Um, there has been unrest in Haiti for quite a while now. And when the constitution was suspended in 2018, there have been protests on and off there. There has been a lot of gang warfare and killing in the country at the moment. So it's been in a quite a lot of turmoil. There had been a suggestion that there was going to be a controversial general election and some contribution constitutional reforms, which had been widely opposed by the public, you know, members of parliament, etc. the opposition. Um, a former UN official has said that with regards to the elections that were supposed to be upcoming, there's no credible voter registration process. There's no security of violence for voters. There's, and there's no independent electoral machine to guarantee their fair and honest results. So all of this is fed into what could be going on here, which at the moment, nobody really knows. There have been calls in the um, international press for an inter- for intervention. Um, specifically, Washington Post called for a muscular international intervention, which has been obviously rejected by many Haitians and people outside of Haiti as well, as the last UN stabilization mission, which was begun in 2004, Uh, led to a severe outbreak of cholera and a large-scale allegations of rape and sexual abuse, including fathering hundreds of children with poor women and girls. So obviously many Haitians are rightly angered at even the suggestion of any of them coming in and supposedly offering another helping hand.
yeah, it's sort of this kind of just arrogant, we need to intervene and uh, with a muscular intervention. Oh, get lost. Yeah, Haiti's been, yeah, exactly. the, the amount of interventions that Haiti suffered since they uh, fought suffered for their in, independence in 200 years ago, um, I think should give anybody pause to write in crap like that. But hey, it's the Washington Post. Um, you know, muscular intervention. What, what does that mean? You, soldiers? You, you peacekeep, so-called peacekeepers? No, peacekeepers, no. Exactly. Which is um, a dystopian name for a force anyway. I mean, look, the situation is is really bad in Haiti. It's been before this and it's set yeah. to get worse. Um, in my opinion, CARICOM should be taking the lead on this first and foremost. Um, and, and they should be making sure that they, they do take a lead and not then having to then fall back on the UN or or or, or other bodies, basically America. Or, America you know, has the a West, lot, of, has a lot of power in Haiti and has um, had a strong hand there for at the moment and has still, because I believe that... Jovenel was, you know, in contact with them and had um, relationships. It's not like that he didn't have relationships with um, the international community and international governments. Yeah, um, he way, was, you know. Yeah, he had a lot of support. Um, so he, he, we, we, I think in a very early show, we covered a protest in Haiti at the time. I think one of our mm -hmm. first across the ponds. So there were, yeah. there were a lot of, um, there've been a lot of things going on in Haiti. Well, well for a long decades but in terms of of late there have been a lot of protests um because he took over he took over when he took over uh, a lot of hate well a lot of haitians were basically saying his time was up and were calling for his resignation or for new elections earlier um this year his response was well he actually took over um a year later and so the, the basically their argument was his term should end when the previous president's term would have ended that five yeah. years whereas he was saying no he deserves five years from when he actually started which would have taken him to next year then at the start of this year um he was then sort of ruling by just ruling on his own he dismissed most of the legislature he, didn't, he dismissed a lot of politicians so there were a lot of, there was a lot of bad feeling obviously it's far too early to know exactly what's happened who carried this out um, there have been a couple of arrests um though in yeah, the past sort of 24 40 hours and um killings as well mm. So hope the situation is unfolding and hopefully we will hear more, but it's a very, very dodgy situation. For my thought of the week this week, I wanted to speak briefly about Cicelyn Faye Allen. She died this week. She was the first black female police officer in Britain. She became a police officer in the Met in 1968. Interestingly, she was working as a nurse at the time and saw an advert in the paper and decided to apply for it. Um, she she said that when she applied, she had written at the bottom of her application, I am a, I am a black woman. Um, because essentially, I guess, obviously in terms of the time, 1968, um, it was a thing where she probably half expected to, to turn up and be told as many people were uh, from the Caribbean back then, whether they were applying for jobs or for housing, sorry, the position's full, or sorry, we've got no rooms left as soon as they saw the face. So she made a point of writing at the bottom of her application, I'm a black woman, essentially just to fend off that. It's like, if you're not going to give me the job, just tell me now, don't have me coming down there. So she moved back to Jamaica in 1972 and died this week, early this week at the age of 83. Um, obviously a trailblazer. Her family not only said she was a trailblazer, but also that she... Um, she paved the way for both black people and for women when it comes to working in the police and working in like, UK society more more widely. So um, it's a, it's a reminder with Windrush Day only being a couple of weeks ago that that generation 
um, certainly those who are, I guess, 80, 90 plus uh, are dwindling. Um, and I think it's uh, it's incumbent on those who are came after them to make sure that we, we know their stories and we tell their stories and we write their stories down. So that's my thought of the week. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbamepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars. 